Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships. My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my amazing co-host, Kristen Williams. Hey, everybody. And as you know, I am led by my fearless co-host, Laura Hyman. We are so happy to be here with you every Wednesday. I'm going to kick us off. We had uh, one of our dear friends, Fabi, who wrote in, have you and Laura talked about fibromyalgia? I have a client and I want to make it good for her. She is one of our lit teachers over in Europe. So focus on breath, of course. Any other tips? XOXO, Fabi. So what, have you worked with many people with fibromyalgia, Laura? I have. um, And fibromyalgia is, is one of these terms that was the result of many years of primarily women. It's not that it can't happen in men, but it seems to be primarily women we're coming to doctors with complaints of um, chronic fatigue and pain, you know, and then they kind of compiled this information that if you had this a number of trigger points that were on the body, which trigger points are areas of increased tension that have a lot of pain receptors to them, 
um, meaning that's your brain is interpreting that, um, you have like super pain. So there's some areas that all of us, if we push right above, right on the first rib or right in the upper trapezius or right under the um, armpit, the subscapularis, those, those are kind of common trigger points that probably don't feel great for anybody. But with fibromyalgia, I, don't, I can't remember the number, but it's that you have, you know, you have like eight to 10 of them or something like I think that. It's like 12 or something. 12, okay. Yeah. And combined with these other symptoms, which yeah. one of them being chronic fatigue and headaches, et cetera. So I think um, it's, it's, it was hard for doctors and they dismissed a lot of women, unfortunately, but it's hard because there is not an understanding of why there's been lots of um, kind of hypotheses that it's some kind of autoimmune is, I think, the most commonly recognized that your body is um, sending out, it's overly producing some kind of reaction to some uh, immune, as Im immunity that's resulting in chronic fatigue and these pain things. And I don't really know the one answer. I know that if we can change the brain's interpretation of what's happening and what is being seen or communicated as major stress and danger, because that's what I think their incredible stress response is just happening all the time without doing anything. And that's exhausting the nervous system. And then it's and then it's firing up these um, pain messages from these trigger point areas. So I think one is to start to feel safe with movement and in the body, and but it has to be slow because um, the fatigue is real. The ones that I've worked with, it's just their endurance was not there. Uh, a lot of the stuff we do naturally, mobilizing, like rolling the shoulders, kind of shimming the ribs, working on posture, the triple S, working on the reset. That has worked extremely well with the people that I've worked with, but that might be all we do. It's very slow. It's very intentional. A lot of um, work on breath to help that balancing more, bringing them more into less of a sympathetic state. And then moving from that with a lot of, again, the slower speed, paying attention to breath, but mobilizing the joints and not spending, like spending a balanced time between weight bearing, say like in quadruped or down dog, and then not weight bearing so that there isn't like a, some kind of response in the brain that this is, you know, all the circulation is going there, the demand's going there, and that, that somehow is um, a stress. And that has worked for me the most is just slowing things down and creating a place where the person feels really safe at taking a break, doesn't feel humiliated. You know, it's, it's, it's a, again, it's more understood now, but it's still something that, you know, if you're like constantly tired, dragging tired, people lose sympathy for you in your, in your, in your inner circle pretty quickly. You know what I mean? Because there's no other outward thing that's going on. So I think just like coming back into the body, feeling really um, nurtured and heard is, is huge as somebody, especially Fabi working one-on-one, -on -one, 
Like just like, I'm here to help. I want you to start to trust your body again, but also trust that you know when you need a break, when something is too much. That's been my exact exact experience as well. When I lived in um, Kentucky, I worked very closely with a pain specialist. I went there at one point in time, twice a week, and then once a week where I was interviewing his new patients, working with him for a couple hours a day, seeing all, you know, and I would refer patients to physical therapy. And a lot of our clients coming from him had fibromyalgia and the females. And that is, I I just, everything you said, you saw me, I was just shaking my head, smiling because, and this is what I told Fabi, you know, fascia, fibromyalgia is, is a fascial dysfunction. You know, there's, there's, there are issues within the fascia and studies have, have shown, you know, fascias hold emotion. You know, there is a strong connection between emotion and fascia and the best success, I'm actually getting chills, that I had with these clients was being nurturing, being mm-hmm. sl- listening to them, honoring what they were feeling and that it is real what they're feeling but then also educating and empowering them a bit with the knowledge that, you know, what were they using to treat fibromyalgia, at least at this point? A lot of it was antidepressants because they were hyper-stimulated. So they needed to be, they needed to calm that, that nervous system down. And then learning to read those signs of when, like you said, when it gets tired, it's okay to take a break. And like you said, um, the inner circle becomes, it's exhausting. And it's also exhausting for the human being who's struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. you know, educating them about self-compassion. You know, what you're feeling is real, but how can we change our perception of that? Um you know, how can we meet pain as a brain output and not a body input? And and not to say you ignore it at all because you don't, but that's where the breath work comes in. That's where you said moving in small amounts. And then just being, you know, as the provider, for me, it was a lot of listening, a lot of hands-on, a lot of... um just compassion, but then also teaching the client to have that for his or herself, because it there is nothing more exhausting than pain. I have seen pain change people's personality. I can see the minute someone walks into my clinic when they're feeling better. They don't even have to tell me. They walk back to see me, and I'm like, oh, they're better. And why? Because like it's written all over their face. And how are you feeling? I'm better. I I can tell. You're feeling better, aren't you? How do you know? Are you? It's all over your face. So, people who are struggling with this chronic pain, um, it is changing their life. It is changing their personality. And so, changing in their mind, helping to change that dialogue with with their. Also, the unfortunate thing is they get this diagnosis. We've got fibromyalgia. We don't know much about it. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know if you'll ever get better. That is like doomsday diagnosis. And so giving them that hope Mm -hmm. that, you know what? I've seen people beat this. 
I've seen people beat this and it is, it's starting slow. It's doing the reset. It's educating the body how to move. Um, it's listening to the body when it's tired. Um, and, and eventually the fascia starts to respond. The brain starts to respond. It's really an exciting thing to help people move through this or move with this diagnosis because yeah, we really don't know why, why it, why people get it. Um, and I'm sure there is probably an autoimmune or a hormonal or something that's playing into that. But we know so much about the brain and pain and fascia that that's what fibromyalgia is. It's that interplay with those three systems. And how can we break that pain spasm pain cycle and help that movement and help that, that trust and break that fear? So, you know, Fabi, you should, you know, embrace this. It'll be a challenge. And, and um, it'll be a challenge for your client too. But, um, you know, taking baby steps. Mm-hmm. And you will, she will see the change and it'll be pretty exciting. Yeah. Frozen shoulder reminds me a lot of fibromyalgia because it's the same, like they don't really know what caused it. They think it's some kind of attack on the immune system, whether it was a previous virus or injury that then your body had this like overridden, you know, over um, wrought response to it. And similarly, very painful. And yet yeah you need to move because that fascia that surrounds it at the capsule um, starts to adhere and then it becomes more painful because you don't move it, et cetera. So I think for both of those, what I've also told people is like, is this, it's a type of faulty wiring that is not your fault, but it is that you can actually, you know, that's the, the good news is that you can rewire things. It'll take a little time. It'll take patience and tenderness and nurturing but it's, it's like there's some kind of faulty wiring that is giving you an onslaught of sensorial information that is not necessarily in line with what the body, uh, you know, externally is experiencing. And so it, but like, yeah, the, the best thing to do is number one, say, I'm sorry you're going through this. I know, you know, there's got to be days that really stink let's see what we can do and start with some small movement because it's just acknowledging that it's real, you know, that it's real and that really, you know, p- pain is an opinion and that opinion is very strong for these people. Yeah. All right. This is from, um, this is from Ann, uh, Ann Williams, the nanny 351. I have a question for your Q&A. What does a typical day of meals look like for you? Where is your go-to food that fuels you? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Man. Oh, man. Well, uh, I kind of love and don't like food questions because I think it's it's similar to movement or anything, hobbies. All of it's kind of, you know, user-dependent. So, I can tell you, but it doesn't mean it would be replicated the same for someone else. And I don't have a hard and fast thing. So for me, actually, I was just, my functional doctor was just here today, Orlando. Um, and we were talking cause she's always like, okay, how's your eating going? Are you, are you nurturing yourself? She knows I'm, I'm very active. And so need to try and get that food in when I can. And I said, it's not the food, it's the organization of the food. That's the hardest for me. 
So I like to think less about like, what does a meal look like? And it's more like meal planning for me. Um, my go-to food that fuels me is really what is quick and clean and available. So that might be a piece of fruit. It might be nuts. It might be a combination of those two. Um, it might be a shake. My husband makes me a shake a lot because that's easily digestible, can put a lot of good stuff in there. And it doesn't feel like I'm weighed down if I have to move. So for me, I'm sure you've experienced this too, Kristen. It's like, I can't really move very well with a lot in my stomach. So I have to really stage my eating around when I'm going to be teaching a class, when I'm going to be moving, practicing myself. So I would say for me, I just, um, I try and as best as I can eat whole foods. Um, I, the main packaging I do, Kristen could probably name it for you right now is my popcorn. I love skinny pop. (laughs) I love salt so much. It's like the best form of my salt, but I really do other than that, try and minimize how much I'm opening up package and eating out of it because I've just found my energy levels are great when I eat food closest to the natural form. That doesn't mean I'm not going to cook stuff, but I'm talking about like pack a lot of packaging, you know, so it's, it's vegetables, it's grains, it's um, nuts, it's legumes, it's um, tofu. I love tofu. I love all kinds of tofu Um, and fruit. I love fruit. I used to love chocolate a lot. It's not that I don't, but it's funny with age, maybe with menopause, all that. I'm, I'm like salt is my jam. I love salt. Sugar, I've gotten a lot less um, emotionally attached to, but like salt, like if I could have French fries every day, what high quality made French fries, I would totally do it. How about you, Chris? That wasn't the best answer, but it's like, I also don't want to give like a, you know, this is what I do during the day. It's really like, I try and eat as close as I can to the natural form and not by any means is every day. Perfect. I love my vegan cheese, which is processed, but you know, I eat so much, I would say 80% is non-packaged food. Yeah. And I might be just the different, just the opposite. I, I, <laughs> I've been, I mean, I wouldn't say everything I eat is, is packaged. I, I cook family dinners five out of seven nights a week. So, um, and that is something that's been, I was raised eating with my family every week. It is something that's very important to me with, with my children. It's when we talk, it's when we, sometimes we'll sit and watch a show together, but we'll laugh, we exchange. So, so my meals, because I am, and even when I wasn't, I, I, um, I'm home more now because I'm doing much more virtual, but even when I was, I would work in the early morning and then come home. I've, I've always, almost always come home for lunch. So my morning, my breakfast is either when I'm teaching, I'll have a quick bite of a, uh, it could be, you know, a a half a granola bar before I teach my 5 a.m. Because yeah, I'll I'll have a cup of tea. It's too early. Yeah. But then between my seven, my, for me, it's six and 7 a.m., I will, I'll eat a bagel. Usually it's a, and I've always, it was the big joke. Everybody at the studio would be like, oh, there's Kristen's got her bagel. <laughs> my bagel with peanut butter. So now I, I do peanut butter and sometimes a strawberry jam. And then, um, then I'll teach again. Then I'll, you know, or I might go for a run. My lunch is almost always leftovers from, so again, mine are, I eat 
mostly home cooked bagels, not home cooked, but I'll eat my home cooked leftovers. And it's the joke. I get so mad at my family because they'll be like, there's nothing to eat. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? We have a whole fridge full of leftovers because I purposely make extra so I can have. I love leftovers. I love it. It's the best. So I have leftovers of whatever we ate last night. This today it was baked ziti, you know, so it was, was my lunch. And then I will snack, you know, I do, I still have a sweet tooth. So, um, you know, if I've got whatever a piece of chocolate, I'll pop it in my mouth because my blood sugar will sometimes drop and I need a little, little pick me up. Um, and then dinner is another home cooked meal. So, um, I am, and then on the weekends, to be honest, I'm like, Mama's not cooking on the weekends, so we will go out to eat. We'll go to, you know, whatever. We don't ex- eat extravagantly. I- I'm very similar to you, Laura, in that food, I don't care about food. Like, I like it, but it's not to go out and spend. No, I've never been one of these people that's like, oh, I meals. went to this amazing restaurant and got all these things. It's like. Who cares? I don't, I remember who who was there much more than I remember the food, you know. I remember when I was traveling through Europe, had no money. This was right after grad school. And it was like, we were getting by on like $4 a day. It was like buy a long baguette and yeah. then, you know, something else. And I was traveling with some people and they were like, now let's go to this. And I, and I love that. It was nothing against them, but I had not been raised, you know, I raised with a family of six, you know, my mom's just like, we didn't go out to dinner. Like it was like, we ate at home. And so I didn't have that kind of appreciation for fine dining. I'm like, I'm fine. I'd rather spend that money on like activities or museums or something. And I'll eat my, you know, $1 baguette the whole day with some, I added stuff onto it, but it was, it was so funny. Cause it was like, I just couldn't, that just wasn't me. I'm the same way. Like I, that, that wasn't how I was raised. It's not to fault. I love people who were really into fine dining and I certainly love good food, sure. especially when it's prepared for me. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. I'm the chef at the house. So it's like, what's for dinner? You know, Yeah, I used to be more of it, but as with time and, and, um, you know, more on my plate, Mark is doing more. We still, I still try, but uh, here's the thing. And I can tell you this, I could eat beans and rice every single day. I swear I would never get tired of it. I would just start adding an avocado on there, add the crazy chipotle veganese. I would add you know, some vegetables, whatever, but I can eat it every day. I'd never get sick of it. To me, that is like one of the most perfect meals because I eat it and I feel full and satisfied. I don't feel bloated. It's digested. I just feel, I love it. So beans and rice. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, it's leftovers and bagels. Oh, and I'll also do, so on my non-yoga days, I will do like, um, you know, some sort of a, a soy yogurt or whatever, mm-hmm. plus fruit. And um, I love fruit and granola. Mm-hmm. So I'll do like a, like a parfait. That's my other. So literally bagels, parfait, leftovers. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> that's my life. That. See, and this is why it's different because like I ate a bagel. I don't know. I haven't done it so long, but I imagine if I had a bagel an hour before I was going to work, you know, teach or 30 minutes, I would just, it, oh, Yeah. yeah. But I have been like that since I ran. Like I'd know people who could eat a meal and and run within 30 minutes. And I was always somebody, I was like, I need an hour and a half minimum after eating before I would run. I just 
couldn't do it. It's just, I know that about myself. I would feel nauseous or worse. All right. We got one quick last question from Marcy, the lip professor. Uh, she said, are there any, uh, are there other factors besides suboptimal posture and movement that could lead to tight fascia besides um, what we already talked about? fibromyalgia. She says, does fascia get tighter as we age? Do some then need a lot more movement than others to free up fascia? I imagine the answer is to just always move as much as we can in the most optimal way to lubricate that fascia, but curious if there are other possible contributing factors. Well, yeah, I think we did speak to some of them just for the last uh, question ago. You know, there are definitely autoimmune factors you know, that can affect fascia. And yes, with age, you know, as we lose elasticity in our body, that is going to include the elasticity of, of fascia. And movement is your best medicine against that. I was just driving home today and my parents sent a picture. They're in Florida for the week with their friends. And my dad has literally FaceTimed me every day walking <laughs> You know, there he is. He's got the beautiful blue sky. And he's like, hey, Christina. Da, da, da. And he's just, you know, he, I am my, my father's daughter. I mean, we are both, we're independent exercisers. We've never been social exercisers. Yoga class was like my first social exercise ever. Um, and so there's my dad, 81 years old, out trucking it 50 minutes a day. He loves it. He power, you know, he power walks. And then there's my mom, who's the social exerciser, who, you know, really COVID, not being able to get out with her social group. Yeah. I watched her. I've, I have watched her over the last two years decline rapidly. Mm. And that to me, Marcy, is the classic example of two very fit, very healthy human beings who, one who needed socialization to move, one who just moved every day because it served him. My father, yes, he's aged. Yes, he's tighter. But you would never know he is 85. He just won the, I mean, his, he, he lives in, a, my parents, they live in this like golf cart community. It's like on a um, country club. And every year they do a men's tournament and it's all ages. So. And tell him how old he is. My dad it was 80 years old when he won this thing with his friend. They were my dad's 80 70s. Now they got a handicap because of that, but still but they still. were beating men my age in their 40s. Because yeah. so you know, being movement feeds fascia. Yes. When you don't move, you get tight and you decondition, blah, blah, blah. But it to me that's such a stark contrast, you know. And my mom, God bless her, she is working so hard. My dad is her drill sergeant. He is because I got her to get a walker, and now because I'm like, you need to walk. Water aerobics is not cutting it. You need to walk. Your fascia needs to move. Your muscles need to work against gravity. So he is cracking the whip at her and being her social support every single day to try to build her back up again and. And it's working, you know, so that's the beauty of the body too, is it does adapt. What do you have to say about this, Laura? Well, just like you said, you need to pull, you know, if fascia is attached to the bones and 
to the muscles. That's what helps them attach to the bones and everywhere else. And so they need to be pulled in the variety of ways. If we're just kind of stuck in our posture and moving in one direction, um, we're, it's better than nothing, but we do need, you know, like my mom lives in a house that has um, two floors. She, it's a big house. Everybody's like, oh, she'll be 80 in, in June. And people say, well, doesn't she need to downsize? And I'm like, this is what's keeping her. Like she's a 60 year old. She's going up and down the stairs. She's moving all around. She has eight animals she's taking care of. She's lifting litter. She's scooping poop. She's taking the dog out. It's like all the daily life stuff that why wouldn't we do that as we age? Why do we minimize and take ourselves down to one floor and then become everything becomes, you know, easy for us to do. Uh, we barely even move, you know, get our shoes on without sitting down. And so, yes, keep moving and then keep hydrated because fascia is um, dependent on the, those gag proteins that are in the hyaluronic acid imbibe water and they imbibe it from the movement of your body, kind of generating fluidity, but also literally. So sometimes when people get older, they don't drink enough um, water, other liquids, doesn't all have to be water, but need you need to stay hydrated. So that that is something that can impact fascia. Just like think about if you went to you know, if, if I went to Arizona right now and I woke up, my skin would look different, most likely. I'd have to really combat it, but it's like, I'm like getting suctioned out because of the dryness. And that's the, that's like fascia. If you're not giving, you know, rejuvenating that um, through your own hydration, you can get that kind of Arizona suction, dry weather feel inside. So it is, but movement is the, you know, the most bang for your buck for, for keeping that fascia pliable and liquidy. Yeah. Well, and I love that you pointed that out about your mom moving and be, you know having to move. And that is where I, the last two years, have been yelling at my dad, stop doing everything. Because that's what happens too. When you have two mm -hmm. people living together, my dad was doing everything. Oh, Trisha, just stay. You, no, no, I've got, and it's like, dad, stop. My mom did everything. Yeah. And my dad had a lung disease. So, yeah. you know, but- um, and she did push him to go to the, get his, you know, his little lung school and do exercises, but in the house she was doing everything. And she's done that for so long yep. because he was either working full-time or then he retired and was doing some things, but even deconditioned then. And she was so used to doing it. Like, that's the other thing. If you're like the go-getter, like your dad and like you, you, you don't kind of know how to turn that off. So, but it can, to your point, um, kind of enable that other person to, to get worse, to not be as active. So I think yeah. we just all need to pitch in and, and stay active and get, get pets. I think having an animal is going to keep you happier and more mobile and um, age better. So promotion to go adopt some animals. <laughs> all right. Well, this was a joy as always. We covered a lot, nutrition and fascia and Fascia, you know, dysfunction. Um, always send us your questions. No, no questions are off topic. We'll we'll talk about anything. We don't necessarily we're not necessarily experts on a lot, but we'll, we'll give you our opinions about it. Ah, thank you, yeah, honey. You can find me at KB Williams99 on Instagram, or you can always always write us at support at lityoga.com. And you can find Laura on Instagram at 
laura.hyman. And as always, if you're watching on YouTube, which you should check us out, I have my darling pet right behind me, Orlando. And then my adorable co-host is wearing her lit hat. I love it. And as always, we are pulling for you. 